0: Welcome to Very, Very Far Away. London. The newspaper placard spelled out the story of coughs and sneezes which have emptied factories and offices and filled hospitals throughout the country. Many places are operating on skeleton staffs as the flu takes its toll. At the headquarters of the London-based emergency bed service, the operations room is in a constant state of siege by telephone. A 24-hour service keeps tabs on available beds in 200 hospitals as the demand for them from seriously ill flu victims reaches the Red for Danger level. Welcome to the second half of our Normal Now group co inquiry My name is Andrew Friend. Today, Citraca Rakatoniana and I are joined once again by Malena Arcucci, Michael Lewis, Simone Rebodengo, Hugo Pilate, Néstor Pestana, and Chris Lewis to continue our exploration of the world in lockdown and the way in which things could change once restrictions are lifted. Come on guys, there's a lot of smart people on this fucking phone call, man! Let's think of how to dig ourselves out of this shit, man! In the first half of the co-inquiry, the group looked in more detail at themes uncovered at the start of the Normal Now investigation, picking up on two main topics for further examination. In this half, the group split into two virtual rooms to discuss in detail our lives at home and new roles for automation in a post-COVID-19 society. The questions, what would we like to see return or not post-lockdown? How does this make life better? Who does this affect? How could this area be reimagined post-lockdown? And how might this actually happen form the backbone of our inquiry?
1: I feel very excited about decentralisation of work as a concept. Um, which is something that you know started with um, digital um, way of working and freelance work and people could work from cafes and you kind of need to organize your own um, working routines. Um, so I think that obviously has amplified massively now uh, to an extent that uh, uh i mean i personally don't know um if a vaccine is well appears um how people will feel about uh going back because you know like it, it, there's there's a sense of um decent de- decentralization and people working from home it's actually a way as a way of keep our capitalist economy running um, uh, in this, hopefully, transition period, Um, but but
0: then... It's it's almost like we've been kind of into this forced period of experimentation to, to try and see how it is to work in a kind of decentralized way without any other option.
2: You know, I I do think it's really it's really important, though, to recognize that we're speaking from, uh, you know, a pretty globally privileged point of view in that, um, you know, we're talking about the Internet as a barrier to access to a large degree. And I was listening to some coverage on WNYC about one of the difficulties of public education there has been that a lot of families don't have access to the Internet and you can't go to a public library to get access to the Internet. So what do you do? You know, they've had a huge deployment of iPads. Um, I mean, like an in insane order. I mean, great. Like I was like 60, I don't know, whatever. I forget the number, but a huge number of iPads. So, you know, it's, it's technology as a barrier to entry, which is a classic socioeconomic problem in that, you know, that, you know, the kind of haves and have nots. Right. Um, and so... The ability to connect remotely has been pretty easy for those of us who have a computer and have access to high-speed internet Um, but if you don't have that you're even more isolated than you have been historically and so i think that's obviously highly problematic so one of the things that that's made me kind of think about well hope and it doesn't feel like it's been introduced into you know, broad conversation because it it doesn't maybe seem like it's that important of a question, but the notion of internet as a public utility in the same way that water is, um, you know, is internet something that should be included with council tax? Is internet something that should be a guaranteed right, et cetera? Um, obviously, then you need a device to get onto it, but I, I think um, that notion of internet as a human right, I mean, that might be too much, but uh, I think it's an interesting question. When
0: we started the Web Foundation, only 10 and 20% of the people in the world actually were using the web, now it's still only, you know, 40% area so that's a huge growth but still there is a sort of obligation um, but also it's for the people who have got the web about keeping it open making sure
3: that it really is the sort of we way want, we want I think it's remarkable you say 4.4 billion people today have no access to the internet at all that's very hard for us in the
4: maybe in the west to understand that
0: yes i think uh, it's in fact Easy for us to take it for granted because we use the web just so automatically. Just to we just Google something, we just check calendar, we just do things uh, in our daily daily life.
5: Uh, I mean, kind of the article I was talking about earlier that uh, how uh, delivery robots, for instance, are, are seeing like a, a, re, a raison d'etre or like a, you know a reason to exist um, now, and and somehow we uh, I wouldn't like to see this. This situation being used by uh you know companies to kind of push these solutions um be, because in some way um uh, what, what is generally i think with this certain point there is going to be <clears throat> uh, other uh, means uh, being hidden behind these solutions so in, in some way we're going to say oh actually robots are more let's say delivery robots are more uh safe because you know people don't get uh, infected, you don't necessarily pass people, but in some way you're gonna have also the, you know, the, the walking, walking, uh, et dish in, in similar ways. So it, I, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't like to see automation seen as the solution for, uh, for these uh, because it's, it's gonna bring other issues as well. Yeah,
4: I also agree. I think the the kind of the fear that the push towards more automation out of like safety concerns or whatever, um, or you just the avail- you know, lack of availability for people to work um, will increase the kind of the hold of like the big, you know, like the large corporations that have the money to invest in the infrastructure and so forth. I definitely see it as a a worry. I I, I think it's hard to control it. Right. And I, I don't know, in some sense, this automation is almost inevitable uh, to a certain degree, probably. Um, yeah, how, how do you make a more humane form or a more distributed or a more populous or whatever more um
5: yeah but but that, i think that connects also to, to to i think another another uh kind of hidden thing of automation which became extremely clear in this situation which is uh sorry I'm go- i i already used two french terms maybe just because you are but there is this uh this this term of uh, like photomation like false automation, which is sort of the um, the, the concept that even though we, we seem to have a highly automated system, in, in reality, there is a lot of people behind it. And, you know, being uh, Amazon workers, delivery workers, there is a, there is a sort of, um, you know, narrative about automation and how it's kind of extremely present, but at the same time, right now, most of the let's say, the, the software, the, the, the thing that the robots are actually flash. Uh, you have, you know, delivery workers, you have people moving stuff around in 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 work in warehouses. Uh, and I think right now, this situation may be extremely clear that those systems that we thought were extremely automated are actually not so much. Um, and and I think maybe that's another thing that hopefully will, will, uh, will not be resumed. The fact that I, I hope that we will understand that we, we do have still a lot of people uh, that are doing things that we think are out of uh, And I don't know, there was this this, this sort of idea around, uh, I think it was uh, the Rao was uh, did this uh, graph about what is society today. And, and at a certain point, he has in a, in a normal pyramid pyramid of society, actually, you know, he changes it completely, but in the half, there is the, the API line. Uh, and so, it's sort of like some people live above the API line, so you are actually asking an API to do something for you, and some other people live, and most people actually live under the API line, which basically there is an API asking you to do something. So whether it's going to tap this or go and move that. Um, and I think that, that, that portion of the pyramid is, is pretty big, and it's maybe going to become even bigger and we don't necessarily think about it until now because we didn't think about delivery people we didn't think about you know amazon workers until you realize that they are there working for us for those automated supposedly automated systems give
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, especially because, you know, the biggest players in that field are people like Facebook and Google who are obviously for profit, profit entities. And so the idea of, you know, um, providing internet by satellite to, you know, remote places in the world is, is attractive. But at the same time, if it's, um, you know, by an advertising agency or if it's by, uh, well, I guess both Google and Facebook advertising agencies, but if it's by someone whose profit is motive, who's. Motive is profit; uh, it's problematic too. Still,
6: in that sense, I think it's also what is put online. I'm not sure if it's happened in design as well, but in theatre, there's been this kind of like rush uh, to share everything online and make everything readily available uh, immediately. uh, Which I think, on the one hand, is great because it allows us all to to kind of like have access to to shows or uh, a culture that we wouldn't have access to before, but then at the same time, I think it opens the question of like, well, what do I get in exchange from my work? That sounds a little bit superficial, but uh, um, I am not the one making profits, uh, but that act, that creates kind of um, movement within the websites that do make profits. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm putting work online for everybody to see and making uh, no no money at all.
1: It's happening quite a lot, actually, in my industry as well that uh, you do a lot of work, uh, you know, that probably, I don't know, like, for example, or, I don't know, like, uh, things that, uh, oh, you're at home and kind of, I don't know, like, starts to be seen as, uh, I don't know, like, a less economical value. Mm. I don't know, but, I mean, there's some, there's a beauty of, like, the shareability aspect of it, but yeah. at the same time.
6: i think it is important but then it's also i think um till at the moment we are kind of like rushing to to share things without necessarily considering who they are for in that sense i think the content loses a little bit um because you lose the ability to control what the audience is and what the environment in which uh your pieces well in my case kind of like theater is being uh, consumed or or appreciated um I, I'm not sure. I would, I would like to take that later on.
2: Do you have you seen anything that's interesting um, that's emerging that you're kind of hopeful about in, in that context,
6: um, like specifically theater? Um, not not something new. I think it's only been if you think about it, it's only been like six weeks. It feels like a really long time, but that is kind of like the time that it takes you to create projects, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel in that sense, I I I've seen a couple of like interesting um experiments and there are some things happening with regards to interaction and how an audience can interact. For example, if you do um, a YouTube live and people can comment uh, and have a say in what's happening, um, which I think are interesting, but I don't think they're fully developed and I think I'm kind of like wishing that don't develop them uh, further within these conditions because I want them to end. If that makes any sense, I would like for people to be able to go outside. I think I'm done with so far.
7: A lot of stuff on mental health that we've been working on and, and trying to understand how uh, that evolves in, in the near future, especially with the kind of remote services. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
7: there's some, uh, you know, a lot of the kind of what we were talking about migrant labor. Um, how do you get involved with these communities and, and you? And do we have the right networks? Some people we've worked with kind of supply chain and, and providers. Then how do you kind of use those contacts to? Uh, try and meet the needs of communities that you're not otherwise in touch with. So I think some of these have been challenges where there's these kind of big needs uh, that we have kind of uh, limited access to. And so it's kind of deciding whether or not you want to be part of that discussion or if you feel like your efforts would be better
1: placed
2: um i mean one thing that that like that you make me think of just in terms of um like talking about how like the difficulty of getting a bunch of people to kind of sit down and have productive sustained conversations that have some sort of focus um that i've been thinking about recently is like um how difficult it is to maintain perspective it, with the kind of cacophony of things you know right this, this landscape and we were, we were watching some john oliver uh this weekend um, some of like the earlier coverage of COVID and it's really interesting. It's, you know, the coverage sounds so naive when you rewind even a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I And so like the difficulty of staying contemporary with what's happening is like kind of crazy. And so like how you project a future in this landscape where, which like the, the like temptation to get subsumed with whatever the most current thing is, uh, as opposed to the understanding of groundedness that like, you know, the human condition remains more or less the same. It's just that we're living in this like momentary period of flux, which feels very ripe with potential. But nothing actually changes if we just like are scattered in a million different directions without any clear sense of focus.
7: Oh, Completely. And that's been a big fear of mine, this idea that uh, everyone starts rethinking the world and it doesn't happen. And then we just assume we did try, however. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that, yeah, that becomes an excuse to not try again or, or discredit the whole space of whether it's speculative design or something else. And, and that's been my big fear, yeah. And, and I, I don't know if uh, you saw the Fortnite stuff I've been experimenting with, but with that in mind, I've been trying to host these like, uh, Fortnite building sessions where we're using it a little bit like Minecraft to imagine these self-sufficient communities just as a way to kind of see these ideas of like, oh, uh, what's more relevant? Yeah. In, in the way, one, in the how do you imagine your homes and this uh, sustainable but isolated and autonomous living that, you know, people are starting to talk about in some places? And, and what is your imagination and the limitations of your imagination of that? You, you see really clearly the second you start building something. Mm, like, oh, right. I'm, I'm missing this and I'm missing that. And at the same time, uh, Fortnite is a lot like Playmobil, where you know you have these pieces, you just end up using them, and so you, you realize, oh yeah, you, I did not think of a bathtub or a fridge. You know, where does that fit in my off-the-grid uh, vision? And so then being able to unpack that and and uh, and and what is essential from that angle has been really fun.
6: This gun, while a handy tool on the homestead and for any prepper, is not going to save you from any kind of virus outbreak so let's get rid of it ah that's better so let's talk about it for a minute yes coronavirus is bad yes the flu is bad yes SARS was bad there's a lot of bad stuff out there but what you don't see out there is people like me people like you who are prepared who live this kind of life thank you we we'll live this kind of life already. We already have a stockpile of this stuff. We don't wait until everybody else is in panic mode to stock up.
4: I, th- I think one one concept that comes to mind, I think. And, and it's obviously it's kind of ch- tangential to to the, the Corona per se, but about has to do with ownership, right? And I think if you have something like the hackerspace or makerspace where it's OK, you come in, you can incubate a project. And if you have success, you can go and spin it off. Um, but basically the makerspace should have some equity then, you know, in, in the form of shares or something in the project.
5: I think, I don't know, there was this, this vision at a certain point in the fab lab world that those would become this sort of like micro, like localized micro hubs for production. Mm. Um, you know, putting those tools there in the world in like kind of distributed way would also allow, for instance, you know, to create a sort of localized production system. But I, I think also for, based on what also what Sitraka was saying, those places turned into being either like only educational hubs. So at the end of the day, you, you use 3D printers, but to make uh, shit, shit tons of uh, 3D printed bunnies. Uh, and, you know, or they're used by sort of this as part of the innovation cycle. So you, you are in this place because those places accelerate innovation and then you get out of it. Uh, but I don't know, I, I, I still like the sort of the original idea that if you would have these sort of distributed micro-production places with machinery that actually makes something that is useful, then it could actually become uh, this sort of automated small uh, factories that, that you can you know either deploy or have in places. So when, for instance, you need to have masks, or you need to have some sort of protection, PPE, or whatever it is, you actually can use those infrastructure. Uh, but at the moment, those places are not, I don't know whether it's the base tools or the technology that doesn't allow it, or whether it's actually the nature of them that...
4: Yeah, I think in line with that, maybe one one area then that, we, that one aspect which you wouldn't want to be resumed is kind of like supply chains or like kind of distribution networks as they currently exist, right? Because if it, you can imagine a totally decentralized, if you say like, oh, vulnerability to like infection and the way the world currently is uh, supply chains are unstable and also exploitative um, and, and maybe if you have decentralized supply chains uh, you make you have robustness plus maybe also the democratic aspect or the kind of distributed aspect
5: And maybe I mean another thought in the same line is that <clears throat> it's also connected to this idea of uh, having personal production or let's say the, let's say decentralized production as a way to solve for instance shortages shortages. Uh, one example i've in mind is the idea okay for for many years we you know uh, urban farming or home farming is also something that we've been talking about as a way to for you to be self-sustainable or or you know to create something by yourself which is for me very similar to the you know the maker movement this sort of idea of being able to be self-sustaining in in the let's say the general uh, supply chain and one one thing that i was always thinking is that the these solutions or let's say these tools have always been addressing the the single person needs so let's say you buy this so you can make oregano or you know you buy this so you can make salad Uh, but one thing that i that i always find missing is that it's a it's a it's a distributed solution but for a single person so it doesn't necessarily have um a micro supply chain around the would sustain the the need and the let's say the drive to do it because you know i can make oregano for myself but at the same time probably i still have to go to the supermarket to buy eggs and and so that's also something i that that maybe the we have some of these tools but we don't have the local level supply chain ideas so you know for instance if you would have let's say, a distributed way of producing greens in, in, for instance, in a small, let's say, urban environment, but in a way that it is uh, regulated like a mini, like a market or like a supply-demand market, then probably it would make sense for people to be part of the system. Because, you know, I cannot produce, and, and it's very similar to the, to, for me, to the production that I can have a 3D printer at home, but that only makes let's say solve some of the issues of you know fixing the the doorknob but it doesn't necessarily help me with producing other stuff now you're going to ask me how to put this into practical terms
6: how to put this into practical terms
5: right here goes
0: i quit work and we become as damn near self-sufficient as possible we've got bags of garden we grow our own food we keep some animals chickens a pig we produce our own energy recycle rubbish we design the things we need. I'll show you what being a draftsman is really all about. Now, some things we can't make, right, and some things we can't grow, right. So we flog our surplus and buy stuff, and that's without good old medieval barter. It'll be damned hard work. We won't have much in the way of mod cons, but we might even enjoy discovering what we can do without, and we won't need the world and his wife to give us the yay or nay. It'll be just us doing it for us. What do you think? Hey? I need to think. We're exploring online mediums in order to allow a slightly more decentralized production of content. We're also looking at um, increasing accessibility through um, making kind of access to a, a network a, a utility or a right almost as much as being able to go on the street outside. Um, what kind of situations could we start to imagine perhaps? For these people, the people who are involved in it,
2: I think an interesting um, kind of speculative project would be around imagining new means of interaction, because the there's you know we're craving this connection to people in the ways that we used to do that. So, like was spoken about earlier, this idea of taking a walk. This idea of taking a walk with a friend and we're recreating that digitally or you know i've taken part in a couple group uh, like zoom groups with friends doing pub quizzes which is like it feels really weird to me it feels super unnatural <laughs> but it's people trying to recreate this sense of normalcy and things are not normal and we need a means to work through the isolation that we're uh communally feeling not pretending like everything's is normal or is going to go back to normal um and so i I wonder uh i I don't think that those things necessarily exist. i mean perhaps i think something like um animal crossings would be a good example of uh, a phenomenon which is kind of context dependent in the sense that um it's you know it's kind of spike in popularity is largely dependent upon the present circumstances, as opposed to this hearkening back to ways in which we previously engaged. So I think the question for me that's interesting is not how did we previously engage with one another within this context, but how do we want to engage with each other in a meaningful way in a new context.
0: So new times need new things.
2: What is beginning to emerge is a new picture of the human
0: being. Not an alienated creature, but a being enmeshed in an ebb and flow with everyone and everything around him. The pulsing magnetic fields of machines, earth, moon, sun, the thoughts and emotions of ourselves and other people all affect the energy fields of our bodies and in turn, the Russians say, our psychic powers. New contexts are leading to increased virtual and digital connection but where does this leave the physical?
6: I keep on thinking about um, this project, but I cannot find it, maybe you know about it, that tingling machine that can be controlled remotely. I found, window um, actually, um, but is this idea of like somebody making you feel something physically uh, remotely. I think also plays, it's not necessarily VR or AR, but it's an object that you mm-hmm. have and that somebody controls remotely. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
6: it is not. It's not my case, but it's. Uh, I know a lot of people who are going through isolation alone, um, and what they crave the most is uh, human contact. Um,
2: yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think that's super interesting and totally. Um, I mean, you know, I, but speaking about um, like AR environments or VR environments or whatever. Like my reality has been to kind of like lose myself in my actual physical surroundings. So I feel very detached. I feel very isolated within the context of my family. I,
1: I I I just think like engaging online, working online, and then going outside for such a short period of time, it's you know, is is doing really something to my brain. Like I feel it's a sense of detachment. It's 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 like my brain is here but it's not here when I go outside. And I kind of like I'm scared of um, to some extent. Scared is probably too strong, but but, you know like going outside is like an event and you know because I feel so detached.
6: Get it with the pliers!
1: No, 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 keep the glass. That's right. Put on the gloves. Don't attempt anything without the gloves.
2: Uh,
0: what is it? What have you found?
1: That
2: matter? Where's it coming from? Oh,
1: don't look. I'm dealing with it.
3: I think we've been here too long. I feel unusual. I think we should go outside.
6: And I guess a larger scale um, urban design as well in Argentina today actually um, comes into effect this new law where people can leave their house but they can only walk 100 um, meters uh, around their house. Um, Which means that, well, if you don't have a supermarket or kind of like essential needs in those 500 meters, then people uh, cannot use their their cars or they can only use their cars with uh, permission. Um, So, yeah, I'm guessing kind of like rethinking uh, cities, which I think it also goes back to decentralizing um, and maybe having like smaller shops, uh, but closer together. Um, and eliminate competition as well, because you know what kind of people you're adding to. I guess I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing.
0: It's almost a kind of new expectations of what our urban environments or our home environments should do for us and should provide us. That that could come out of all of this, like the idea that we want to have certain things because of the situation we find ourselves in now and the fact that this will become more commonplace so So long as they stay inside they're okay it's a bit of a shock at first sight but the trio looking like the three bear story come to life are protected from just about everything that this scientific world could inflict upon them the suits are antibacteriological anti-nuclear and anti-chemical by the look of them they're a bit antisocial as well
4: yeah i wonder i wonder if we're still Kind of, I think it's, I totally believe, I totally agree. And I think that the hype cycle really went fast with it and the the technology still wasn't quite there. Like the resolution of 3D printers and the they're quite finicky and all those sorts of things Um, where I wonder if it's still, we're still really in the middle of this. It's kind of a slow revolution, right? It's not one of those kind of overnight things that I think that if if we look back in 10 years, it'll be the case that people are making PCB boards at home. You know, people are doing it, but it's not, not so common these days, right? But I think if with like, uh, I I think, yeah, I think actually the revolution that happened wasn't necessarily in the supply chain and in the kind of like local fab as we were talking about, but actually more in terms of like awareness now, both in terms of open source, like going from software towards open hardware and things like this, which definitely is much more in the kind of public consciousness, I, I would say um, also towards like, yeah, what, what, what do p- companies control and what is out there, what is open and can I download like a new CCD? Like imagine, you know, if I could, if I could actually fabricate things on silicon, which can can be the case in you know ten years or something like that, now that we can actually start to make chips and stuff like that that, that weren't existing. So it's, I think it's a really slow evolution where it, what's what's kind of preceded is the awareness that now most people who maybe if maybe if ten or fifteen years ago you had approached a high school kid and asked them like what's a CNC machine, what's a laser cut, like whatever, um, they might kind of be oblivious and maybe they still are. But I think more and more people know about the basic you know the, the tools to make things, which has actually been the revolution, is, is the edu- is, is the educational side, which maybe was at least partially successful.
2: Mighty machines, big and mighty machines, working for you, doing mighty things there. Mighty machines, lifting and pulling and flying so high, building a building up to the sky. You could watch them all day and never know why.
4: Machines. I, I think actually there's two there's two things that came to mind just when you were bringing this up. One one is has to do with the fact like decentralized automation, which is that like one of the really appealing. So I'm am a big believer in Tesla, but also uh, you know I, I, like in waves because Musk also kind of freaks me out. Um, <laughs> like I mean he seems like yeah. But um, yeah, so that, so I think Elon Musk was really quick to think that if you have a fleet of um, you know, self-driving cars, like, you know, the first thing people think of is, oh, it can park itself, oh, it can come fetch me. But the other, I think, really revolutionary step is that, oh, actually, it can drop me off at work and then it can go deliver people around the city. It can basically act as a taxi cab when I'm not using it, it and give me some sort of passive, like guess, pass, passive income stream, essentially. Um, so that instead of like one company like Uber owning a bunch, like a fleet of autonomous taxis, now, you know, whatever, however, whoever can afford a Tesla, essentially, which still is a pretty high, you know, price line, but but still, it, it democratizes this sort of thing so that anyone can kind of sign into this network and their car can be shared. It's kind of a car sharing thing, but it has individual ownership. Um, and I think something similar with the, with the makerspaces, where if you have, um, yeah, these infrastructure there that you can basically dial into. So one is this distributed fabrication, but the other thing has to do with even just knowing what's in the supply chain. Like, I think the things in the US, there was this toilet paper shortage, right? Maybe in the UK as well. Um, and and one of the aspects of that shortage was just that it was the classic consumer toilet paper which is like three ply and wrapped differently and scented or whatever is different than what's used in offices and so while the consumer toilet paper was really low there was a a big excess of like industrial toilet paper for like offices and things like that like single ply no branding um and so if with like kind of also smart objects, so to say like if you knew where the toilet paper was really quickly You could route these things where they were needed, but it, it takes otherwise it takes like, you know people to sit down and think oh Oh, yeah, this is actually toilet papers here. It's just not the way we normally use this toilet paper <laughs> I
3: had my first customer yesterday who said he wanted to get a refund on hundred and fifty packets of 32-pack toilet paper and 150 units of one liter sanitizer. I told him that That is the sort of person that is causing the problem in the whole country. The
0: further we stray from our traditional realities, the harder it can become to grasp the new world in which we find ourselves.
1: I mean, personally speaking, I'm I'm just not dealing very well with the uncertainty. And for me thinking about after, it becomes mind blowing because it's something that I don't, I can't really grasp. What I can grasp, though, it's too soon. What I can grasp, though, is the idea of dealing with intermittent um, waves of dealing with the situation. How that will work, I'm not entirely sure. Um, But I'm just curious to see how it will work, really. How are we going to deal, like, okay, June is over. Uh, okay, are we are we safe? Can we go out? Can we uh, can my kids go to the school without? You know, mm. in my family is kind of like it's already happening, like in France. I have family in France, and there, uh, I think France wants wants to lift or wants to relax a little bit the um, measures uh, regarding this pandemic. My family, it's very wary of their kids going to the school and and the possibility of them catching a disease. So they don't want to send their kids to school. So how, as a society, are we going to deal with this subject? For example, what happened in the island in Japan, that um, um, the numbers of uh, of cases went down so much that the Japanese uh, mayor of that particular island decided to lift the measures. And now there's a massive, well, an emergency um, uh, in that island, because the virus hit even harder than before, so oh. I'm just I'm just wary of all of these situations happening before even thinking about okay, this is all over. We have a vaccine. Mm. I'm
2: trying really hard not to think about it um, because I think it's. That's uh, exactly become... why I
1: asked you to
0: think about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, because through it's through avoidance that I am able to personally cope in the sense that if I focus on the kind of just day to day, like I you know make breakfast, uh, eat breakfast, etc., um, and don't think about the timeline, then um, I can kind of move forward as is necessary. Because I'm you know I'm very I'm desperate for human contact. I'm desperate to have a barbecue in our back garden with a bunch of our friends who live all within walking distance. And whenever I see them, like in passing on the street, it feels very weird to me. It feels like they occupy a different world. It's already over.
0: You can over until it's over.
2: What's that
6: from, the 80s? It's probably in the 70s.
2: You know, there's been this promise of what technology will do for people's ability to work remotely and the idea that as a, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, if you use the internet, you can work anywhere in the world. Uh, I, I totally agree that, I mean, it seems like um, there is a future in which the um, there is a flight from these places where, uh, you know, rent is super expensive and getting food is expensive and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the attractiveness um, for people to flee to more green space and more, um, I don't know, opportunities for outdoor engagement is is, is really great. But at the same time, then how do you find the communities that we're talking about, which are real, physical, within those spaces? Right, so it's not everyone everyone becoming increasingly isolated.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a really interesting kind of point there about this kind of like revealing of its hand almost, like this kind of... this. Emperor's New Clothes kind of situation, where mm-hmm. you're in this place, like you say, in, in London and, and most of the time it's great there because there's stuff going on. That's the brilliant thing about it. There's, there's people from everywhere, there are interactions, there are events, there's this kind of big melting pot, but as soon as you take that away, because you're not allowed out <laughs> and everything's closed, what you're left with is, as you say, like expensive rent, no outside space, it takes a long time to get out, and, and even if you're doing your your kind of allowance of exercise in, in the UK, you're allowed an hour an hour of exercise a day out of the house. You, you really can't get that far in an hour from London on a bicycle, mm. even. So, when you when you're in that situation and all the good stuff's been stripped back, then you're like, okay, well, what's left of this? Actually, if I could have more and be outside or in a different country or in a different environmental context, completely yet still able to work using this kind of infrastructures that have been developed in this time, maybe there's something to take from that, something, something desirable in that situation.
2: Yeah, what you're talking about there is you know, the the importance of the fundamental things of what it actually means to be human and the things that kind of bring us joy, which is like uh, the natural world, being outside. Um, it is being with our friends, and we can see that now, I think, you know, with a greater light, with a greater clarity, um, and we can't have that. Uh, but I think, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it, it raises this question of, fun, of what it is to be fundamentally human and um, and to confront that. If they say why?
6: I think it's also, I think it hasn't been long enough for us to be able to understand what new kind of like needs and challenges will emerge from this current situation. And I think, at least in my case, I'm still thinking in solutions based on old um, paradigms or kind of like structures of work. I'm still trying to apply what I was already doing into this new scenario as opposed to thinking uh, what this new scenario needs me and I think that's gonna take a little bit of time for for everyone to figure out but I, but I do imagine that in time we might be able to transfer our, our skills onto sort of like new realms of work that we can't even imagine exist if it makes sense
2: I think that's super interesting and I totally agree and I, I mean um, the longer that this thing goes on I think the more likely we are to have to confront in a real way, how serious those shifts are going to, be. you know, I think if, if things were to return to normal tomorrow to normal, and it's totally fine. And there is this incredibly exciting opportunity. It feels like to address those questions that you're talking about. Uh, but it's obviously, you know, super hard work, right? Um, cause to a large extent, I mean, one, it demands uh, time and that time can be spent working towards getting jobs or working towards, uh, you know, whatever, literally working, um, so like, you know, yeah, I, I think I think those, that, that kind of like quest that you're talking about, or like how do you imagine the future and kind of redesign what you're doing to fit that future is... Uh...
1: It's just difficult to, to 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 think for a future that we cannot imagine, or, you know, I, th- I think, well, at least, maybe I'm doing it wrongly, I don't know, but the, the way I'm doing it is, how do I deal with this transition before going broke? Um,
6: no, I agree.
1: Um, there's like some sense of like, this is going to sound weird, but there's some sense of satisfaction. For me personally, uh, this is global.
6: Uh, but but I wonder as well. Um, listening to the previous episode, um, Citraka was saying like, well, we've all become a little bit of uh, like socialists in this context. Like we're all now kind of like talking about universal, um, universal income, um, and kind of like like trying to reconfigure um, economy, and then. Also, that related to what Michael was saying, uh, with regards of like what we are now appreciating and how we are starting to rethink of like what the, our purpose in life is, um, and whether or not like job uh, work is also gonna take like a whole new. And this is like super utopic and yeah wishful thinking, I guess. But whether work is gonna continue to be something we get money from or satisfaction. Work,
3: work, 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 work. It's Work, 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 work.
5: The, the the automation that sometimes you know especially the public kind of focuses on is uh, is this sort of sensationalist uh, uh, boring stuff like okay there is a robot arm making a pizza this is gonna revolutionize the way we make pizza uh, the, and and when you think about it at the end you know that that's sort of the the wrong automation to talk about because you know, having a six axis robot arms that can do welding at the millimeter precision, moving uh, a piece of dough from, you know, A to A to B in a 2D space is not really the, you know, the interesting thing. And and, and it sort of you that idea of, okay, this, we are, you know, we're putting robots where instead of where people are, while, you know, the things you're talking about, uh, but, you know, for instance, uh, um, distributing the way we do testing or distributing the way we do we, we build stuff is actually maybe that's automation in some way but it's it's more about empowering the person rather than taking away the job so and and I don't know I, I feel there is uh, is the same with sort of the delivery robots it's like okay we have this uh, human face looking like things that go in the city which are very good for. Uh, you know, news and blog posts, but but then at the end, you know, it's it's more for me almost like the marketing usage of automation rather the actual change that we will have. So maybe that little chip that you were talking about is something that in 20 years we're gonna say, oh wow, that was actually the thing. But and these guys were using robot arms to make pizza. How stupid it was. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna throw in another thing because. The the other problem is that automation in itself is this sort of very sexy world word for um, venture capitalists, and you know and that's why you see the robot, uh, the, you know the robot barista, the robot pizza maker, the robot restaurant. But at the end, those are sort of like appliances in some way. I mean, those things will become appliances, and in the same way, for instance, we had uh, you know the robotic. Uh, uh, mixer and the robotic, uh, you know, the electric oven, you know, they, those were all sort of like automation of processes that then became appliances and maybe this thing will become appliances while the, the different sort of like more impacting automation is is probably, I agree, in this sort of decentralized uh, um, healthcare, decentralized production uh, and not necessarily, yeah, this sort of like flashy examples. Yeah.
0: Looking at the mechanisms of change and the constant back and forth between imagination and the reality we're in at the moment, even if it's only for the short term, we bring the two groups back together to share perspectives on the themes that were discussed. Are we ready for change? How might we make things more permanent? Who is in control?
2: It's super, you know, it's incredibly challenging, right, to confront uh, what it is without perspective, which we only can
4: have with time. I think we need yeah. concrete actionable solutions. We don't need you know. I
1: think we discussed things um, <laughs> that were interesting. I think there are some things that can be taken in my personal opinion. I think there are, you know things that we you know that can take that can be taken forward regarding mm. a possible uh you know like a tangible uh project or performance. I think yeah. you know in terms of design, architecture and things like that.
3: Yeah, I mean, th- this is definitely sort of what we are aiming at. It's not necessarily to have like a completely informed and complete um, sort of and a conclusion about any of this. It's like literally find a way of like uh, having a sort of structured conversation that eventually leads to some level of inspiration to be able to uh, create. Narrative ideas, projects, whatever, whatever this is. I mean, that was the original yeah. plan with the workshop before even uh, we started to do it online.
0: For me, one of the the most striking points was when we were talking about the potential for. I think which question was it? The one for looking at kind of after yeah, how do you reimagine and readdress these kind of topics post-lockdown, was the, the view that we, we were not ready for that yet as a group. The idea of thinking after the pandemic is maybe maybe it's too soon and maybe it's too much, and that we're better off dealing with the idea of a kind of intermittent waves or a, a kind of a, a post-lockdown is a, is a bit too much to cope with. An, an avoidance of coping or thinking about that becomes our mechanism
1: for dealing with it. I think there was the idea of like a shifting, of like, well, the decentralization um, of our, let's put it that way, um, which perhaps, you know, like a cities like London um, become less um desirable and urban or you know countryside for the younger people perhaps be i don't know like perhaps there's like a a shift between um big central cities to like small town
3: how eventually automation can help um, some sort of, like, decentralized manufacturing um, kind of, like, economy or something like that. Um, Simply, like, we start from the fact that, like, the sort of emergency uh, situation within which we are situated kind of, like, forced, uh, I mean, there's been lots of reports in the media about, like, companies trying to make, like, 3D printing things for healthcare and stuff like that. So like as a response to um, this kind of crisis and stuff, uh, having um, these kind of like fab lab makers, um, type of um, home manufacturing processes or to becoming like some sort of like decentralized supply chain for goods. And um, we were trying to see how these kind of decentralized supply chain can happen um, or can be like Um, promote, um, encouraged uh, by sort of like the use of automation in the sense of using automation as a, in a balanced way, like using automation for empowerment uh, and leading to a decentralized network as opposed to uh, using this um, uh, automation as a replacement for uh, things that are already only as a replacement of like uh, manual labor.
4: The idea of how do you mitigate the the danger of automation increasingly centralizing power and centralizing yeah, capital, I guess, and more towards like reframing automation in terms of in- empowering individuals or communities.
2: Part of that that connects to something that we were speaking about is um, kind of the, the abilities to um, be flexible within this period and the importance of um, I guess, like models that uh, allow flexibility and encourage flexibility and something that perhaps we should be thinking about on a longer term scale is the implications for education and how, you know, there's this, I wish I could attribute the quote, but it's something about the idea of preparing children for jobs that don't exist yet Mm -hmm. and how that's something that we should probably be really thinking about critically. And it's not just preparing them for jobs that don't exist yet, but building in a resilience of, uh, I guess mental health, um, that allows them to um, kind of really tackle these like highly problematic types of situations, which are probably going to become increasingly prevalent as not only things like pandemics are an issue, but, you know, water security is an issue and the increasing polarization of political camps, blah, 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 whatever. Um, you know, uh, I think this is something important. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I was reading this article on that and how well kids will figure it out on. Will figure it out on on their own as well, just because this will be their normal, if that makes sense. So in that sense, they're going to be able to maybe or hopefully identify what the, the problems are and what needs to be done and how to work within these con- conditions much better than us.
0: With lockdowns starting to ease across the globe, what kinds of new worlds do we want to emerge? Will we see any noticeable changes, or will everything simply revert back to the way things were? Thank you to all our guests for collaborating with us in this co inquiry Join us next time as we continue onwards in our discovery and exploration of what might be, or perhaps already is, normal now. Back to life,
1: back to reality.
6: We have done what very few
0: countries have been able to do. We have stopped a wave of
2: devastation. The effort of our team of five million has broken the chain of transmission and taken a quantum leap forward in our goal to eliminate the virus. If you're sick, stay at home, get advice from the GP or Healthline about getting a test. And quickly, I cannot emphasize this enough, All of our success in contact tracing and isolation relies on knowing as soon as we can when you are unwell.